Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. It's another gorgeous, sunny day here. I'm so grateful to God for the gift of our lives and our faith. Today in the program, we're going to get another blessing of having Father Ricardo answer a question on the spot. So you're going to, I hope you've been enjoying those uh, interviews that I've done, I'm kind of breaking them up into shorter chunks so that you can enjoy a bit of him each day. And then in the main part of the program, I'm going to continue talking about encountering Jesus in the Mass in his word. And so in the liturgy of the word, I'm excited for you to be blessed by that in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. This is Tom Kern. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord our God, we love you and thank you and praise you for who you are. We thank you that you come close to us in your word. Lord, we ask that you would continue to bless us, Lord, in, in all the things that we're about. Lord, give us the grace to pray well. Give us the grace to choose to put you first, not to neglect you, Lord. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, unfortunately, my, um, what do you call that? Uh, my my record, my, uh, not my record, <laughs> my consistency. Uh, well, I missed Mass yesterday. And I missed it because I was having a conversation with Carrie. And she said, hey, let's take a walk. And I thought, oh, I'll get back in time for Mass. And I didn't. And I said, well, I got a backup plan. My backup plan is I'm going to go to Mass at 6 o'clock. We were going to go as a family at 6 o'clock. And that involved, well, my boys, they were, going to go to, uh, they were going to go to Silverwood, and then they were going to meet us at Mass. And then the girls, they were going to go to volleyball camp, and we were going to pull them out of volleyball camp and get there in time for Mass. And what, ha what ends up happening? Yeah, it's just sort of a comedy of errors. And all of a sudden, I look up, and it's too late to go to Mass. And I'm like, wait a minute, how did this happen? How did I get swindled out of the gift of the Mass? And, and i got to tell you, I think that's one of the reasons why, not the only one, but one of the reasons why the Church has traditionally recommended mourning as the best time to pray. Personal prayer time and getting to Mass. Because there's just less opportunities, less things that will get in the way. So I'm sad. I, I missed out. And sure enough, I had a chance to listen to a, a homily uh, and this, or a teaching, a teaching or talk, kind of hard to say. Um, it was on, um, it was on the, one of these YouTube channels that I listened to. And he brought up this, again, very important point. It's in our tradition. Why don't I remember it? If you pray more, you'll get more done. If you devote more time to prayer, you'll actually accomplish more. And that's a truth that, again, we've been swindled out of, and that's a truth that we won't know except by experiencing it. 
And so that's my hope for you today. Pray more and see if, in fact, you get more done. Well, that's my word. Let's now go to Father John Ricardo and be blessed by him. Uh, I was talking with my wife, Carrie, before the, the interview and just saying, hey, you know, I've got a whole bunch of questions for Father John. What would you want him to talk about? And she's talked about the, mag- the magnetic quality of uh, holiness, that when you have a union of the faithful in love and God's dwelling in their midst, it is not only radiant, it's magnetic. You know, so there's a radiant quality to divinity when God is dwelling in our midst, and there's a magnetic quality to it. And it was specifically connected to the work of evangelizing. She said, if there's something that holds me back from evangelizing, uh, it's not about talking about Christ, but it's talking about the bride of Christ, because where are they going to come? We're going to bring them to that parish? Are they going to see and flesh the one that we were so passionately talking about. And so that discrepancy between the Christ that we hopefully radiate because we've been set on fire and then the communities we bring them back to, it can be a, a real painful gap that we end up facing in our, in our work of evangelizing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I think, I think, one of the tasks in front of us, it's and it's often, not always, but it's often because of things like our parishes are so big. And most people in most parishes have actually never been evangelized. And they'll tell you that, right? Like, do you have a friendship with Jesus? No, I'm Catholic. That's actually the wrong answer, but I understand what you're saying, right? So they've been sacramentalized, not evangelized. So it's not surprising when, when people come to our churches that they're often feeling like I'm just at a gathering like any other gathering in the world. It's just that there's a guy up there with vestments and there's some things that are happening. What we're talking about is a little different. I think that's why it's more and more imperative in the age that we're living in right now for evangelization to take place in the home and for us to understand that evangelization is really not going to happen in most parishes. It's going to happen in some what happens in the parish should be I'm nourished by the sacraments. Hopefully I'm nourished by the word of God. Hopefully I'm equipped to go out on mission. But if maybe it's another way to say that would be, I would, I would first want to evangelize and bring people into my home where you're not going to get the sacraments to be sure. But what you are going to get is you're going to get a taste of the body of Christ and you're going to get it in a flawed way because I'm flawed and you're flawed. But I want to try to at least invite you into a small community of of men and women who are diverse, but who are serious about wanting to grow in conformity to Jesus and live in friendship with him and invite others into that friendship, convinced that we are, that that's the only way to live a genuinely authentic human life. So I'm going to invite you to my home, and then I'm going to prepare you for what you're going to see in the parish. And I'm going to tell you that's going to be disappointing. Yeah, that's so powerful. I think that, uh, so when Carrie and I talk about our married life and when we talk about marriage and family life, we say that, uh, you know, the family is the icon of the Trinity, right? That the family is, marriage is a communion of persons and uh, that is meant to reflect the, the Trinity as this mysterious, infinite, perfect communion of persons. And then I'll say kind of a dramatic statement. If you want to know what the Trinity is like, come and hang out with us in our home. And I, like that's your standard family. Yep. Your fam- your standard as a family ought to be, if you want to know what the blessed Trinity is like, 
come and hang out with my family and you'll get your sense of it. You'll get a whiff of it. You'll have a, 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 a sense of you've encountered the living God because of how we are as a family. And so when I talk with Carrie about what brings me the greatest happiness as a family, it's not about accomplishments or stuff. It's about literally being able to be together, enjoying each other in life-giving ways that is often manifest through play and laughter, mutual enjoyment, not stepping on top of each other, but just being together in life-giving ways. And we had a, a friend of my oldest daughter stay with us for um, just a couple of days. She was here in town for some, um, for a soccer game. And, um, and on her way out, she just said to me, she said, I want you to know that I have never experienced a family that enjoys each other as much as you all are just enjoyed each other at the dinner table, playing games, hanging out. So, you know, just being together. And, and I'm like, mission accomplished, right? Mission yeah. accomplished that if we can only foster that sense of let's enjoy each other because God can forge hearts that are open to each other and love each other. And you have that communion of persons. That's the goal. Yep. I love that. And and praise, praise be Jesus for the fact that she was able to see that in you guys. And, and I think, you know, from, from our perspective, that's what we're trying to do as a, as an apostolate when we're working with bishops and, and pastors and, and lay leaders is to model something. So I'm the only priest in, in Acts 29, everybody else is a, is a married lay person. And we're very deliberate when we're, I mean, it's so we're missionaries. We do life together. We love each other. We spend a lot of time with each other. We vacation with each other. We work hard together. We pray hard together. We laugh a lot. We eat a lot. We try to just do life. But when we're out, like we're increasingly mindful of the fact that we're, we're trying to um, model something like a subcurriculum for clergy and lay faithful both, but especially to clergy to show them something like maybe going back to that, you know, what I was talking about, the greatest omission of vulnerability. Like I want to, I want to model for guys, how do priests and lay people relate? How do lay people and priests relate? How do men and women relate? How do priests and women relate? Um, and because so often it's not healthy, you know? And so we've been out in, lots of settings. We were doing a mission one time with a chancery and we went out to dinner one night. This was in kind of like the height of COVID. And so we were, uh, we were eating outside in a tent, everybody right next to each other. We were just outside in the tent. And um, it turns out that the people in the chancery were actually in the same tent eating. And somebody came up to us at the end of the night and says, you know, we've been watching you guys all night long and we can't fathom doing what you do. You know, you guys, poured into us all day and now you're out um, laughing, talking, going at it, having fun. We get to the end of the day, we can't wait to get away from each other. And they just said, can you teach us how to live like that? Because we want to do that. And when we can, you know, just like to exactly your point, when we can 
you know, mindful that we're all broken, flawed, and screw up time and time again. But when we can live the way Paul lived and say, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. When we can have that as a desire and a goal, well, then we're going to draw a lot of people to Jesus. Amen. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. We should expect, as I come into Mass, what are my goals? I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. Ooh, the Father is at Mass to speak a word to me, the word that I most need to hear. Let me give you an example. This is from Isaiah 62. What's your name? Elsie. Elsie, this is God's word. It's a living word. It's not just a passive letters on a page. It's the word of God. And Elsie, this is for you from God. Elsie, you shall be called by a new name. Nations shall behold your victory and all kings, your glory. You shall be called by a new name, pronounced by the mouth of the Lord. You shall be a glorious crown in the hand of the Lord, a royal gem held by your God. No more shall people call you forsaken or your land desolate, but you shall be called my delight. And your land espoused, for the Lord delights in you and makes your land his spouse. As a young man marries a virgin, your builder shall marry you. And as a bridegroom rejoices in his bride, so shall your God rejoice in you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Burl, I got a word for you. It's the word of God. And it's from Jeremiah 25. Howl, you shepherd, and wail, O faithless one. Roll in the dust, O leader of the flock. The time for your slaughter has come. There is no escape for you, for your wailing shall be throughout ages and shall never end. The desolate, uh, desolation shall remain in your life by the sweeping sword and the burning wrath of the Lord. The word of the Lord. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Okay. Who wants Elsie's word? Who wants Burl's word? So when we go to Mass... We don't get to choose what word we hear. The Lord knows what word 
you most need to hear. You, the Lord has a special gift, a blessing, a, a personal word for you because he sees you. And, and, and the word that he speaks might be a word like Elsie's, a word of loving comfort, of tender care, of lifting up, of refreshment, of, of raising up. Or it might be a word that says, you need to repent. You need to turn your life around for you are on a path of destruction and my burning zeal for you is that you would be made clean. It will be a convicting word. I'm, I'm gonna guess that you've sensed this, that there have been times you've been at mass and the lector is, is proclaiming the word and all of a sudden, something kind of just moved in you. It was a, a phrase, it was a word, it was a sentence, it was a, a story, and it just, it was like a light went on. That is what I'm talking about. That's the kind of experience that I'm referring to. That if you are receptive, if you are not sitting back, but sitting at the feet of Jesus who sees you, who, who sees you there and is going to speak to you, it's going to change everything about your attitude. How you see this moment at Mass, is going to shape how you relate to it. And it's going to shape how I'm acting. How I'm acting. I'm alert. I'm on my toes. I don't want to miss what the Lord wants to say for me, say to me. It's kind of like a, a third baseman when uh, certain situations is a runner on first and they need to advance him to second. That third baseman knows that that next batter is likely to bunt. And so he's on his toes, he's there, he's alert, he's attentive, he's watching for any gesture, any word. And as soon as that batter turns to bunt, he's going to make a run in to try to get the bunt if the bunt occurs. It's that kind of on-your-toes attentiveness to what it is that's going to show up. That is what will allow us, dispose us, ready us to receive the proclamation of the scriptures at Mass to be an encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus wants to meet you. He's intending to meet you. And if you ever go to Mass and you feel like there was no word there for me today, it's not his fault. It's not that he didn't speak. It's that we didn't listen. The quality of our recognition was made manifest by our response. Now, no matter the word, we don't determine it. It's the Lord who determines the word that will be spoken to us. No matter the word spoken, the first reading, when we hear the word of the Lord, the response is always, thanks be to God. Our openness to receive God's word, whatever it is, is to give rise to gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for that convicting word. Because sometimes it's only the Lord who loves us enough to convict us or knows those places in our hearts that need to be convicted and converted. And so he will do it. That's the first reading. And then after that, we have a psalm. You ever notice the name of that psalm? What's it called? Say it out loud. Respond. Say it again. Respond. 
responsorial psalm. It's the psalm response. The response to what? The word proclaimed. Oh, I'm really not making this stuff up. Ah, the psalm response. Ever notice how the psalm response is often, not always, but often in first person. First person singular, a lot of the time. Sometimes first person plural. But do you notice this first person singular dimension of the psalm response highlights something? Even though I'm a member of the assembly, even though I'm a member of the community, I'm also a person that Jesus sees and that Jesus speaks to. And the response I make isn't only as one of the community, but must also be personal. You see, the psalm response isn't, the Lord is a shepherd, there is nothing his people shall want. The psalm response isn't, the Lord is our shepherd, there is nothing we shall want. What is it? The Lord is my shepherd. There is nothing I shall want. We show up as a community of individual persons, a communion of persons. And so there are times in the liturgy, in this holy sacrifice of the mass, where we are asked to step up and say, I, I with you, but I. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord has spoken to us. Yeah, yeah. No, the Lord spoke to me. The Lord's my shepherd. There's nothing I shall want. I have to stand up and make that response. Does this make sense? This is what the liturgy, this is what the, the mass calls forth from us. This is the recognition that I am asked to make a response. And we have a second reading at Sunday Mass in an, on uh, special feast days. Uh, typically what? It's Old Testament and New Testament, right? First reading and second reading. Except in the Easter season, we have in the first reading, readings from the Acts of the Apostles, right? The early church, which makes sense. And um, so first reading and second reading. And so the second reading, again, is meant to help complete and fill out the story of, of maybe the theme that is uh, running through the scriptures or helping us to walk through the different uh, uh, passages of, of the, the New Testament. And once again, we are asked to speak. Thanks be to God. Then we have the gospel. Now remember, the gospel. You recognize something and you respond to it. Something is showing up and you pay attention to what's showing up. And as you recognize what's at stake and what's showing up, you respond to it. And so what happens when the gospel shows up. At the time of the gospel, what do we do? We stand up. Ah, we're recognizing something, and so our posture is now going to reflect it. Why do we stand up at the time of the gospel? The liturgical planners are figuring, you need to get the blood going, or you'll probably fall asleep, right? Is this why? Is it a, very, is it a strategic decision? No, it's not why. Well, 
we're listening to the word of God, so why the change in the posture? What's different about the gospel as compared to the other readings? Well, there's something very distinctive about the gospel that evokes in us the response. Stand up. And what is it? Remember, if you don't know the answer, what do you say? Jesus. Jesus. If you don't know the answer to the question, just say, Jesus, you're bound to be right most of the time. Okay. Wait a minute. What about Jesus? Well, the gospel is always about Jesus. But you know what the church says? The gospel is proclaimed by Jesus. Jesus proclaims his gospel. Who, Who gets to proclaim the gospel? Who receives the authorization to proclaim the gospel? The ordained. In whom Christ lives in a distinct way. And so... It's the distinct presence of Christ that is acknowledged by us at that moment. In fact, notice when the priest says, the Lord be with you and with your spirit. And with your spirit, we acknowledge the distinct presence of Christ in you. It's during certain key moments in the liturgy at the beginning, as he's opening the very liturgy itself in the mass. And now at this moment in the gospel, acknowledging a distinct presence of Christ, a distinct action of the Spirit at work as Jesus himself proclaims his gospel using the priest as the mediator of the presence of Christ who is spoken of in the gospel. And what does that evoke in us? What do we do? Recognizing Christ is here to proclaim his gospel. We jump up. Well, we stand up stretch a little. What does the posture of standing evoke? What does it evoke? What does it signify? Recognition? Respect. I recognize I'm in the presence of some, if the president of the United States walked in, what do you do? You recognize his presence and you respond. You stand up. The office of the president is represented here. I respect that. Singing of the national anthem, what do you do? Stand as a sign of respect. Pledge allegiance, hand on the heart, sign of respect. You recognize, you respond. So we stand as a sign of reverence and respect for the presence of Jesus, who is being proclaimed and who proclaims. But wait a minute, we not only do that, we also do something with our hands. We we, we make a cross on our forehead, our lips, and over our heart. Why do we do that? Why do we do that? Well, what does that mean? First of all, to put a cross on something means what? It's a sign of consecration. It's a sign of setting apart. It's a sign of dedication. It's a sign of giving over. It's a sign of entrusting. I'm signing. Trust me, when I bless my kids (laughs) before I leave for the day, At night, when they go to bed, I'm blessing them with the sign of the cross as a way of saying, not only am I blessing you, but I am dedicating you, consecrating you, setting you apart, giving you to. Does that make sense? Wait a minute. The church says you should do this before the gospel. You should say that my mind 
is dedicated to, given over to, set apart for, consecrated to, opened up to receive, and trusted to the gospel that will be proclaimed. Lord, I believe. I open my mind. I receive, I believe. What about my lips? I will speak. My mouth is dedicated to this gospel. What's your heart? It's your life. It's the center of your being. I open up the core of my being to your word. I will live. I will welcome. I will live your, your gospel. It's a blessing. I will live your gospel. But wait a minute. Did you ever notice when it happens? Remember phenomenology? Pay attention to what's showing up. When it's showing up, it doesn't show up after you've heard the gospel. It shows up before you've even heard it. Before you've even heard the gospel, what is going to be asked of you, you say in advance, I believe, I will speak, and I will live the gospel I'm about to hear. I don't think you really get the implication. <laughs> Look at Genesis chapter 20, 21. Um, it's a story of Abram. Abram gets a call from God. Abram! And he says one word, a one-word response. You know what that one word is? Ready! Ready! He says to God. And then God says to him, take your son, Isaac, your only son, as if he didn't know, and take him to a place I'll show you. And there, offer him up in sacrifice. He's walking three days with his son Isaac, and I bet he's saying to himself, the next time God says, Abram, I'm going to say, what? When God approaches us with his word, when he calls us by name, what's our response? It's supposed to be one word, and it's not what? It's ready. And we actually do that. You know what ready looks like? Ready. My mind is ready, I believe. My lips are ready, I'll speak. My life is ready, I'll live. Do you realize, though, what that means for us when we say yes in advance? Yes in advance of even knowing what the gospel is? And so I say to you, love your enemies, pray for your persecutors, I believe. And, and the Lord says, I want you to forgive 70 times, seven times. I want you to uh, proclaim the gospel to the ends of the world. I'm going to speak this? Pick up your cross every day and follow me. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, remains just a seed. I'm going to live this? I think it would be a lot easier for us if we waited until the gospel ended and then decided, you know what, Lord? I'll believe it, but I'm not going to live it. Or I'll live that, but I'm not going to speak it. Or I'll speak it, but I'm not going to believe it. But that's not what the Mass asks of us. What the Mass asks of us, if you're participating in Mass, if you're involved in Mass, if you're present in Mass, is to say yes to the Lord in advance 
of even knowing what he will ask of you. That, my friends, is many things, but it is not boring. Opening your life so totally to God, to Jesus Christ, who personally will speak a word to you. Wow. That's the gospel. Okay, after the gospel, we sit down. We sit at the feet of the Lord who will speak to us through his ordained, anointed servant, the priest, the homilist, the deacon. And in doing so, I hope that you'll appreciate the challenge, the incredible challenge that is faced by the homilist. What's the challenge? The homilist does not theologically have the call to present his own interesting ideas about the scriptures. It's the call of the homilist to discern in the totality of these words of the scriptures proclaimed by the church given to him, God, what is your word for your people? Please give me the ears to hear your word for your people. And give me the ability to turn that which I'm receiving to you into words that they can hear. And help me to do it in 10 minutes or less. And be funny. (laughs) Who wants that challenge? You want that challenge? Burl. Go into the sacristy and don't come out until you know what God wants to say to us. Okay? Good luck. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever think about the challenge that the priest faces at Mass to be a conduit, a vessel for communicating God's word to us, his people, at Mass? Now, You say, well, thanks be to God, I don't have that call. Sorry. The priest has that call here among us in the community at Mass. Guess what? You have that call out there in the world. Oh. (laughs) We'll talk a little bit more about that later. I want you to consider something. I just said to you that at Mass, God uses his ordained, anointed servant and son to be the conduit for proclaiming his word to his, us, his people. You might be saying to yourself, I'm not sure you come into my parish. I'm having a hard time hearing God speak through that ordained servant and son that you're referring to. Let me encourage you with a couple of things, okay? Um, the first is, uh, and, and, and I mean this in all sincerity, uh, that I'm going to say something and you're going to laugh, but I don't mean it to be funny. I, I mean it sincerely, but people always laugh. And, and here's, here it is. God is always speaking to you through the homilist. He is always speaking to you through his homilist. At a minimum, what he is saying 
to you through his homilist is pray for my homilist. See, I knew you were going to laugh. But at a minimum, he's saying that. Why do I say that to you? It's so easy for us to be critical, to critique, to be writing my own homily. Why is he saying that? Why isn't he saying this? Why is he saying it like that? Oh, here he goes, droning on again. It's so easy for us to be critical about somebody. And the interesting thing is, I remember I was critiquing a speaker one time. I don't think it was a priest at Mass. And my wife, Carrie, said to me, Tom, she said, you know, uh, you, you, might, uh, you, you might get a lot more out of what he had to say if you stopped critiquing him and started praying for him. You might get a lot more out of what he had to say if you stopped critiquing him and started praying for him. In fact, I want to propose to you two benefits. The first is this. You start praying for your homilist, even praying during the homily itself. And your prayers for your homilist, your priest, your deacon, whomever, will in fact increase your ability to hear God through the homilist. Did you hear that? Your prayers for your homilist will increase your ability to hear God through your homilist. And second, it may in fact be the case that God has a tremendous anointing of preaching to give to your homilist. But you know what God has been waiting for? The prayers of his people for that homilist. Ooh. Maybe, in fact, it's your failure to pray for your homilist that's holding your homilist back from being the anointed preacher that God has been waiting to bless your very community with. Oof. That's, not the, that's not the full picture, but that's the picture that involves us. Pray. It'll be a blessing to you, and it'll be a blessing to him if you pray for your homilist. Okay? Next. After the homily, what do we do? We stand and profess our faith. And this is one of those areas, again, where with the new missile, we've had a um, recovery of certain insights and emphases in the prayers themselves that are considered appropriate for this moment in history, considered a faithful um, application of our tradition, our liturgical tradition. And so probably the most obvious with regards to the creed is the first word, shifting from we to I. We believe, I believe, right? The credo, Latin, first person singular, I believe, not we believe. And so it's a natural uh, return. Well, what was the point about saying we believe? It's that same thing with the responsorial psalm. When the community prays, when the community stands to pray the creed, is it the community that is professing faith in God? Or is it myself, a member of the community, that's professing faith in God? Yes. Yes. The catechism puts it this way. I believe what we believe. I believe what we believe. And so... What's our posture when we uh, profess our faith? We stand. Why? Well, we're not standing now because we recognize and reverence the presence of Christ in the gospel, but we stand because, guess what? Professing your faith is 
taking a stand. For you to profess your faith in this world, you will be taking a stand. Meaning, I believe this. I'm going to stand up for this. I'm going to stand and be present for this into the world. And standing up in our community of faith is helping us to recognize that. I am to profess my faith in this world. And my profession of faith helps me to get oriented with regards to the, the totality of, of this world. What is, the, what is the world all about? What's the meaning of the world? Well, the world was created by our loving God. Who is God? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What's wrong with the world? Sin. What's the, uh, what's the solution for this? Jesus Christ coming among us, dying, rising from the dead, sending his spirit to be among us, gathering the church as his people to then proclaim that gospel in, uh, throughout the ages until the end of the world where we have a destiny to come in, in his kingdom where he calls us all to. But there's everything at stake for all of us because this good news needs to be received by all of us. Life and death, eternal life and death are at stake in this. That's what we believe. That's what we stand for in this world. And so we take a stand. We take a stand. After we have the, um, the, uh, the, the profession of the faith, what do we then go to? We go to the uh, prayers of the faithful, right? These universal prayers, the intercessions, right? And how does that work? We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. And this is another one of those times where sometimes we fade. Sometimes we kind of fade out and in terms of our awareness, our consciousness of what's being said. And I think that's reflective of what? The quality of our recognition is made manifest by our response. What can we recognize? What can we see as regards this moment in the Mass? I want to give you three meanings three meanings for the universal prayers, the prayers of the faithful, that will help you see it in a certain way. Now, remember, I said to you that there are two purposes that you have uh, when you come to Mass, right? What are the goals you have? I am at Mass to give God thanks and praise. I'm at Mass to give God thanks and praise. God is at Mass to, well, one of the things we learned was to speak a word to you that is personal, that is new, that is for today, that is for right now. But there's something else that God is there to do. He's there to ask you to let him be your good and loving father. Did you hear that? He's inviting you to ask him for the good things that you need. Remember, why do we give thanks? Because we've been so filled to overflowing, it overwhelms us. How can I ever thank you? What is it that evokes in us a great sense of thanksgiving? Having received from God what we need and beyond more than what we need. In the Mass itself, the Father invites us to present our needs to him. We're invited to experience there in that moment a presenting to the Father of all that we need because he wants to show us, he loves to show us what it means that we are his children. 
Remember, we, bap- we bless ourselves as a sign of our baptism. I'm his child. I'm, I'm his delight. He delights in me. He delights to give me good things. This moment in the Mass, the Father's saying, I don't want to just speak a word to you. I want to lavish good things upon you. I want to let me lavish good things upon you. That's what this moment of the Mass is about. Wow. It's also a sign, by the way, that we are experiencing heaven on earth. Experiencing heaven on earth. Why? Well, in heaven, remember, we're drawn up as a community of faith, as an assembly, into the worship of God in heaven. Well, what else is Jesus doing in heaven? He is interceding for us. He is praying for us. What are we doing? We are interceding, praying for others. And by doing that, what are we doing? We are joining in a heavenly action while on earth. Once again, a sign that at Mass, earth touches heaven and the action, the activity of heaven. Let's go further. And this has to really do with understanding. This is really building off of that first point. uh, The nature of intercession. What's intercession? Intercession is a kind of prayer that's different than petition. Petitions and intercessions. What's a petition? Petition is when you pray for yourself. God, I ask you for this blessing for me. What's intercession? You intercede. You ask for someone else, right? And so intercessory prayer, we so often get backwards. What do I mean we get it backwards? We often pray intercessory prayers as if God is not aware of the situation that we're bringing to him and hasn't considered what it is we are asking him to do. This is how intercessory prayers sometimes go. Lord, I'm praying for Aunt Betty. She's in the hospital. She's really sick. Lord, please heal Aunt Betty. Aunt Betty, she's got a family. She's got kids. She needs to be home with the kids. God, please heal Aunt Betty. Do you hear that prayer? It's, I want you to imagine this again now. It's like with God in the picture. It's like if God isn't aware of what's going on. It's like, God, please Aunt Betty's sick. She's in the hospital. And it's like, God's like, what? Oh my goodness. I turn my back. Look what happens. She's in the hospital. And God, would you please heal Aunt Betty? She's got a family. She needs to get better. That's a great idea. I haven't thought of that. Intercessory prayer is not our attempt to get God to notice something he hasn't seen or to do something he hasn't thought of. Intercessory prayer is God's attempt to get us involved and bringing about a blessing that he intends to give, but to give through and with our cooperation. Let me say that again. Intercessory prayer is not our attempt to get God to notice something he hasn't seen and to do something he hasn't thought of. Intercessory prayer is God's attempt to get you involved and to bringing about a blessing in this world that he intends to give, but he intends to give it through your prayers. Wow. I'll give it to you this way. 
So God has blessed me with a wife and a number of children. Just focus on my wife. I know God has blessings that God wants for Carrie, gifts that God wants for Carrie. But I know this. When God gave Carrie to me as a wife, one of the things that he assigned to me was to be a conduit of blessing into Carrie's life. In other words, God is saying, Tom, I want to bless Carrie. I want to bless her with such great gifts. But I'm going to do it through your prayers. Oh, you know what? She might not get them. What? She may not be blessed in the way that I intended unless you, unless you are praying. I've established you in this relationship with her and I want to bless her, but through your prayers. Wow. That's the prayers of the faithful. That's the universal prayer. Yeah. God's saying, I want to bless the world but I want to do it through your prayers. Pray, pray, pray. I want to be a father to this world. I want to show them my fatherly care. Pray, because I want to pour out a waterfall of blessing upon this world. Pray. Wow. Last point. This is the third meaning of the prayer of the faithful, the universal prayer. Uh, When I was 18, I experienced a deep awakening of faith. And I, at that time, I was after, it was after high school, and I was on a softball team with a bunch of friends from high school. Just a, it was a, just a fun team to be on. And uh, we had fun together, and I think I was a nice guy, but I certainly wasn't a man that was so full of faith in terms of how I was living my life. Well, in the mystery of God's plan, God reached down into that group of buddies I was with and pulled me up and out from them turned my life around and set me on a path that almost 30 years ago, almost 30 years later, I'm still walking. And now through Facebook, I get to see a lot of these guys and see their lives, what's happening, and occasionally have conversations with them. And I encounter still a number of them struggling. I don't know what my life's about. I don't really know who God is. I'm still trying to figure everything out. And I have asked, God, why me? 30 years ago, why me? Did you pull me out from that crowd of my buddies? And here they are still trying to figure things out decades later. And you know the answer I have after all these years of praying and asking? The answer is, I have no idea. That was funny. (laughs) I have no idea, but I do know this, that God did not pull me out from them to simply remove me away from them. But in some ways, he pulled me out from them. Are you ready? On their behalf, for their sake, and in their place. God pulled me out from among them on their behalf, for their sake, and in their place. Why do I say this? I'm going to bet that many of you, when you come to Mass, you may have some loved ones with you, but you sense deeply the absence of someone that you wish was with you 
I'm not saying they've died, but I'm saying they're not at church with you. They're not at mass with you. A spouse, a parent, a brother, sister, a child, a grandchild. And you sense the pain in your heart of their absence. And you wonder, why, God, am I here and they're not? Why, God, do, have I been given the faith to be here and they don't? For whatever reasons, they're not. I say to you, at this moment in Mass, in the prayers of the faithful, in these universal prayers, in this time of intercession, realize that you are at Mass. Yes, for yourself, but not only for yourself. You are also here in their place for their sake and on their behalf. In this moment, you pray for their sakes. Pray on their behalf. Pray in their place. This is the prayers of the faithful. This is the universal prayer. As I've walked through the liturgy of the word, hopefully, by reflecting on this insight of Pope Benedict XVI, and it's part of our tradition, that the Mass isn't simply a ritual, but it's a a ritual that is an event. It's a place of encounter. It's a place of encounter with Jesus Christ, the principal actor at this ritual. And this event is so striking that it brings about in us a call, a call, a demand. Recognize not only what is happening, but who's showing up through the happenings of this event. And when you recognize who it is that's showing up in this event, you have a call. What is it? Respond. The church is giving you the responses giving you the responses, everything from blessing yourself to in all and with your spirit to the genuflection itself, to the thanks be to God, to the signs that we make with our uh, signing ourselves with the cross. All the way through, we are given the responses that are the appropriate responses that saying, I recognize what's happening and through what's happening, who's showing up and how that one is coming to me and approaching me and speaking to me and wanting to change my life. This, my friends, is many things. It is not boring. This is the Mass. This is the sacred liturgy. This is what we're invited to. And we're only halfway through. <laughs>